0: Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination. The theater of the mind.
1: You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you?
2: Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. A special three-hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf.
3: All right, about nine minutes after 10 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater program, 460 in the series. It is March 14th, Lisa. And we have five hours worth of radio programming all the way to um, three, three o'clock in the <laughs> morning. In wow, the morning. I love it. I love it. I know.
4: Well, we had five hours before, but I I love that we have five hours all in one night. We can really delve deep into classic radio.
3: I'm saving gas, too. I'm not having to drive uh, (laughs) down here uh, (laughs) twice a week. I love having the five full hours and being able to present these shows along with uh, Just the Facts. And uh, we actually have six classic radio shows because in our last hour, Lisa, we are going to play a half-hour show and then a quarter-hour show. Here's the lineup. Our first hour, it's Inner Sanctum Mystery. You don't want to miss that. The creaking door. <coughs> Scary radio. And then our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. After that, it's Escape, which is a, a high adventure series. Then Favorite Story, because uh, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Ah, yes. Right. Yeah,
4: always well, there's me. no parade, but there's still a St. Patrick's Day. Always <laughs>
3: after be <me>, Lucky Charms. <laughs> That's right. So I thought we'd play a St. Patrick's Patty's Day program on Favorite Story. And then we have the red-haired Irish detective Michael Shane. See how I did that mm, too? That uh, smooth. Uh, from 1945. And then uh, we'll listen to The Unexpected, a quarter hour show that is exactly what it's uh, meant to be. Unexpected. unexpected. You will love the lineup. It's all coming your way. But first, these words.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Are you sure these are true, Lisa?
4: I am sure. I get my sources from good, well-respected <laughs> sources, unlike you some other people. don't get from my brother, Vince? I never call your brother to find out what's going on, he's, especially I've, in 1945. He's
3: lost all credibility with me. Well, good. He's lost it with week.
4: me and everybody else as well. So Telling me that <laughs> there's
3: no more daylight savings time. <laughs>
4: Yeah, no changing
3: no. the clocks. Well,
4: at least you've got me to you know, keep you on the straight and arrow. I here. called
3: him you know, the next day and I was like, you know, you made me sound like a doofus <laughs> on the radio because I said there's no more changing well, the clocks. Well, I sent you
4: the article. It's And it... he's
3: like, oh, I didn't think you were going to talk about it on the radio. <laughs> I
4: think he didn't finish reading the entire article. Maybe just the first line. Yeah. That's, that's how he you roll. He was so excited
3: that <laughs> to have to change the clocks back. Yeah. We should do that though. It's such a pain. You got to change your car clocks. You got to change your clocks at home. I mean, it's a it's a lot of work. It's a lot of it's a pain yeah
4: i agree it would be easier just, just to leave it alone
3: one way leave it Come one way on no already. change
4: that's carl one way no if change I was carl. Running the world mm-hmm.
3: if i if, if i'm ever, you would
4: get rid of daylight saving if, time if
3: i am ever running the world right i'm gonna make a lot of changes right and you're gonna
4: start with this a lot let me tell you
3: something <laughs> a lot of changes well, there's not
4: enough time on this radio it's gonna show. be
3: required <laughs> listening to listen to wgn radio That would be, like, required. Okay, okay? all right. Every show? I would probably just get rid of all the other, you know, frequencies on the radio. Mm -hmm. If I was running the world and you'd only be able to listen no, to Now, that WGN. doesn't seem
4: like fair trade market. I'm not sure I'd like your world. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right, uh, it's All right. time for just the facts. It sure is.
4: This is sponsored by Cat's Pride. Hour one, we're going to be playing Inner Sanctum Mystery from 1945. 1945 was also the year that Abbott and Costello's film The Naughty 90s was released. That is significant because The Naughty 90s is a film starring the comedy team of Abbott and Costello, and, of course, it contains the best-known recorded rendition of the team classic, Who's On First? Now, this is a clip from the movie, yeah. and this is uh, the version of the routine that showed at the National Baseball Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame Museum in. Cooperstown, right? Yeah. Now, the camera crew can be heard laughing in the background during really? the routine, which is so significant. I don't know that I've
3: ever seen this movie.
4: You've never seen it. Uh-uh. 1945, the naughty 90s, and the line, who is on first, made it at number 91 on American Film Institute's 100 movie quotes. Yeah. Right, so. Well,
3: that routine was Top of the heap. amazing.
4: Right, you should watch that movie. I should. You would enjoy that. I also, should. 1945, March 15th of 1945, Billboard Magazine began listing a top albums chart. So the chart was first published in the magazine March 24th, included ten positions. And the number one album, nineteen forty-five, was Nat King Cold Trio, which topped the chart for three weeks. I'm just a shy guy. My mind. So this is guitarist Oscar Moore, bassist Wesley Prince, and they were called the King Cole Trio. Yeah. The group gradually built up a following with Cole emerging as a singer as well as a pianist. Yeah,
3: and then he became you know, a solo artist. That's right. For a long, long time. He had his own, uh, you know, TV show yeah. too.
4: All started Nat in 1945. Wow. Right? Also 1945, the heating effect of a high-power microwave beam was accidentally discovered, hmm. which of course led to become the microwave, microwave oven. oven.
3: So it was You know dis- that I would be- Probably not alive. If I, I wasn't was for microwave. I was going to say I, that. I eat all my food warmed up. You just microwave. throw
4: it all in the microwave.
3: Yeah, like, when they invented TV dinner, oh, I, <laughs> that was it. I for mean, you. come on. I mean, it's like but you can now still I can buy eat.
4: them. <laughs> I can't
3: cook, so I use the microwave Micro- for everything.
4: You know, I at, of course at this point everybody has a microwave, but back in the day in 1945, this is when it was discovered by accident. Apparently, he had a radar set he was working on, Who and was he. Had, he? Oh, this guy, his name was Percy Spencer. Okay. He was an American engineer. He was from Maine. And it was an accident. He had a chocolate bar in his pocket. <laughs> it started to melt. Uh, ultimately, in 1947, the first food deliberately cooked with a microwave was popcorn. And it was called a radar range. Yeah, And it was the first range. commercial available microwave. It was almost 5 feet 11 inches tall. <laughs> so way taller than you, taller obviously. Than me, then, yeah. 750 pounds, so about the same weight <laughs> as you. And it cost about $5,000. <laughs> That's
3: a lot of money 1945. It's a lot of money today. or whatever. So by
4: the 2000s, it was named, the microwave was named as the number one technology that made their lives, people's lives easier. Yeah. Like you. I don't and know what
3: I would do without a 90% microwave.
4: Percent of households have one. Yeah. Have a microwave. Yeah, so even you, Carl.
3: I have one. I can I know use it too. One. I know how to. And you can hit set start the buttons and everything. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Lisa <laughs> sure. Wolf. Okay. My pleasure. Our text in line three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. And uh, sit back. You know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of craziness going on in the world. I mean, you know, we we know all about it and. We're over here wiping down everything, and everybody's uh, on high alert, and we get it. So just relax, enjoy some classic radio shows, and uh, we'll hopefully entertain you for the next uh, four and a half, five hours here with these great classics from... What's uh, with
4: the four and a half? Well, well,
3: we're here till three o'clock. That's five hours. Yeah, but what I mean... Let me give you
4: five hours. Well... well we were already entertaining them for the four first Four hours and hour.
3: 45 minutes. Well, we, it's,
4: it's a whole five-hour entertainment show.
3: Yep. <laughs> Inner Sanctum Mystery. We'll start out with that. Okay, Lisa... This was a mystery, terror, and suspense show. came to radio originally in 1941. It was created by Hyman Brown. You know, and I got to be pretty good friends with Hyman Brown over the years. Really interesting guy. I used to write him letters when I was a kid. And he used to write me back. It was, you know, can you imagine writing someone like Leonardo DiCaprio now or something, and him actually well, handwriting? writing? these days you hand, wouldn't even
4: find his address.
3: He used to hand write me letters back. He thought it was cool because I was like this twelve-year-old kid, and I was like, I love Inner Sanctum. I love this CBS Radio Mystery right. Theater, and
4: right? how unique and he that was. Me. And
3: then when I got into the business, and I and I connected with him, and I wanted to license. Did Inner he remember Sanctum, you? No, no, I don't think you remember me, but I told him, you know, and I told him he used to write me back. He's like, yeah, I used to write everybody back. You know, yeah, yeah, great.
4: That is good. My husband uh, sent uh, multiple letters to Barry Manilow, and he invited him to his bar mitzvah. And Barry guess what? Maniloub. Yeah, and guess what? Why He didn't show. He didn't show?
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so uh, Hyman Brown created this. It uh, was hosted by Raymond Edward Johnson. I met him, too, and interviewed him. Um, Raymond Edward Johnson and then later Paul McGrath. They delivered their lines in like a tongue-in-cheek tone, kind of like a stark contrast to the other shows like suspense. You know, they had hosts, too. But with Raymond, he was like... Good evening, friends. You know, it was really creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, once in a while, they would have a big name star like a Boris Karloff or a Peter Lorre. But primarily, it was New York's uh, kind of old pros like Mason Adams, Mercedes McCambridge, Santos Ortega, Lawson Zerby, Louis Van Ruten. These were the actors each week on Inner Sanctum. And then for a while... It was sponsored by Lipton Tea, and Lipton had a female spokesperson named Mary Bennett, and I think she's on this show. You get to hear her, and it was kind of funny because it was like this woman. She was like all cheery, you know, talking about right. Lipton Tea, and, and then, then there was Raymond, you know, <laughs> Your host. scaring you. Um, really terrific series. We have a broadcast from September 25th, 1945. This is called The Lonely Sleep. It stars Carl...
4: Carl with a K.
3: Yeah, but he's still a Carl. Carl Swenson. Here uninterrupted now is Inner Sanctum Mystery.
0: Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host at the squeaking door again. Just, um, sliver in and let me dispel your weariness with a bit of eeriness, hmm? <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. No, please. Don't sit in that chair. I'm, uh... Saving it for rigor mortis to set in. (laughs) Oh, dear.
6: I see this is going to be one of those nights when my favorite character gets killed.
0: Yes, Mary, but don't scream blue murder because this is a corpse of a different color. (laughs) Well, if
6: it's going to be that kind of a story, I'd better tell folks about something cheerful first. Yes, I mean Lipton tea. Lipton's is such a friendly, welcome drink. And that's because of its brisk flavor. Now, that word brisk is important. It means that Lipton tea always tastes fresh and and full-bodied, tangy and vigorous. It's never flat or wishy-washy. That's the reason why Lipton seems to make good food taste better and why Lipton tea is the perfect beverage to serve on your entertaining friends. So even if you're not a regular tea drinker, you should try Lipton's. That brisk flavor makes all the difference in the
7: world.
0: And now, let's leave the world, uh, temporarily, of course. Tonight's story is called The Lonely Sleep. It's an original radio play by Christopher Mayo, who scribbled it during a nightmare. And our star is Carl Swenson, who plays the role of Archie Gold. Murder is a specter which nudges all of us, anywhere. Most of us will never murder, but can any of us say we never will? Certainly Archie Gold, 30-ish, bald, mild-mannered, never thought he would murder. Archie was the window display man for Greg's department store. At night, the store is a fantastic nightmare of eerie shadows, covered showcases, cavernous depths, and dank, stale odors, with only his own hollow footsteps for sound. Because windows are dressed at night... It's night now. And Arch is busy in his storeroom crating his favorite mannequin for shipment to the mannequin factory. Being a lonely man, he talks to the mannequin. And being in love with Esther Newman of the store's accounting office, he naturally calls his favorite mannequin Esther. You've
8: been very mean to me, Esther. The last time I asked you to go out with me, you snickered at me. That's not nice. That's why I had to do this to you.
0: Archie tucked Esther's smooth pink torso into a crate.
8: There. Perfect fit, darling. Perfect.
0: Then Archie wrapped Esther's slim legs and arms in Excelsior. Tucked them into another crate.
8: So you wouldn't put your arms around me, darling.
0: Well, you won't get another chance. Then Archie picked up Esther's pretty head and placed it on his workbench. Oh, Esther.
8: I'm so lonely. Why don't people talk to me? Why can't I be popular? But what's wrong with me? Why don't you go out
0: with me? What Archie never dreamed was that the real Esther Newman was at that moment slamming the last of her monthly report books closed, clicking off the light, and starting out of the finance office toward the rear door of the store. She stopped by Archie's half-open door when she hears his voice.
8: No, listen to me, Esther, darling. I am making enough money here to buy us a little place over in Jersey. See, all my life, i wanted to love someone like you. You're so beautiful. You will marry me, won't you, darling? Why,
9: Archie, you Go! Uh, <laughs> Sitting there
10: proposing to a dummy, and the dummy's name is Esther. What a coincidence!
8: Well, <laughs> Esther, you uh, you worked late. I I didn't know. Uh, no, I mean yes, yes. I, I give the mannequins names. It's sort of a game. That game. That that's. It.
10: Well, they don't talk back anyhow.
8: No, they don't talk back. But they're sort of kind. They smile at me. See, I'm I'm lonely.
7: Mm-hmm.
8: I work all night. And Esther, will, will you go out with me Sunday night, mm-hmm. please? Just just dinner and, and the movies. Are the... you kidding?
10: Why don't you ask your dummy friend? <laughs> hey, say what a swell idea! She won't eat much. You can maybe get her into the movies for half price and. <laughs> When you kiss her goodnight, Archie, she won't slap your face. <laughs> Why are you looking at me that way?
8: You shouldn't laugh.
10: You, you're crazy. You're trying to scare me. Yes, uh, that's it. No, you're not. You are crazy.
8: Don't come near her. Archie! You
7: shouldn't laugh. Oh, Archie, don't! You shouldn't laugh.
8: My turn to laugh. See? My, my turn. (laughs) He shouldn't laugh. People. Shouldn't laugh when you're lonely.
0: You see, the specter of murder had nudged Archie. And he's obeyed. This was no mannequin at his feet. This was a woman, warm, beautiful, and dead. Then, being scared and lonelier than ever, Archie talked to his mannequins again. This time to Frank. Painted and rouged and handsome in Greg's bargain 2950 tweed suit.
8: You heard her laughing at me, Frank. I, I I just couldn't stand her laughing at me again. See, look at her, Frank. You'd think she was asleep. Her neck's broken. See, what am I gonna do with her? Yeah, I gotta think. Gotta hide her. Gotta dress the front window, too. window. Sale of cozy kitten mattresses starts tomorrow. It's a big sale. Sleep on a cozy kitten. <laughs> i got it, Frank. The window. i have put her in the window. On a cozy kitten mattress. No real, no. And then tomorrow night... I...
0: So Archie used some pancake makeup, bringing life to Esther's sallowing cheeks and purple lips. He placed her dead weight on a hard truck. And he rolled it at the lighted window. An hour later, Esther's corpse, covered with gleaming white sheets and sleazy satin quilts, Smile and peaceful bliss at the empty street. Archie found his work well done.
8: Nothing more to do now. Just wait. I'll go home. And wait. That's a good window. You look very pretty in bed, Esther.
11: I've been watching you, young fella. Yeah. Saw you do the whole thing.
8: I... What's
11: the matter? I scare you? <laughs> no,
8: no, no, officer. I, I mean, I, I I didn't know.
11: Yeah, I've been in the doorway across the street watching you. A lot of work to make up one of them windows, ain't there? Yeah.
8: You saw me do the whole window, you mean? Uh-huh.
11: Yeah. Oh. Saw so you put the mattresses in, make the bed, put the signs in, and then fix the lights. Then you put the girl in the bed and fix her face up. That's hey, a nice job. Yeah. <laughs> Say, you look bad, son. Yeah. Anything wrong? You sick?
8: Huh? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just tired.
11: All through for the night?
8: Yeah, all through. <laughs> uh, good night, officer.
11: Good night, young fella, and don't worry about your girlfriend. I'll keep an eye on her every night. <laughs>
0: So Archie went home, as you or I might have done. And because he'd been too busy setting his little post-mortem stage, the impact of his crime began to seep through only as he neared his rooming house. Maybe the girl in the doorway he passed started him thinking because she (laughs)
12: laughed.
13: Are you
7: kidding?
0: (laughs) Just a girl, a date. But you can't blame Archie for hurrying. You would have thought it was Esther, too. And hurried. He hurried to the rooming house. He raced up the steps. He had to get to his room, get in, and close the door. For the world, close the door. Of it. That's it. They can't laugh at me here.
8: They won't find me here. This is my room. I
7: uh, nerves.
8: Stupid running like that. I've got to act normal. Sure, just just like nothing happened. I I couldn't help it. She made me do it. No, forget about it. Why, Archie, I, gold. No. No. No, you, you can't laugh now. You're good. I'm
7: dead, Archie.
10: Yes, in a way. I'm in Greg's department
8: store. Windows. I don't believe in ghosts. It's... It's just my mind, my... my imagination.
10: That's right, Archie. You're too clever to believe in ghosts. I'm not a ghost, Archie. I'm in your mind. I'm part of you now.
7: Part of you. (laughs) Give out! Give out! (laughs) Drive you out!
10: Oh, no, Archie. You can't. Unless... Unless... Unless, Archie...
8: Unless you replace me with... Someone else. Yes. Yes. That might do it. Someone else. Another girl.
0: See? That's how a murderer thinks. Oh, yes, yes. You do the same thing. Archie never thought he would murder now he's ready to do it again. Get rid of his conscience to get rid of a voice. And Archie lit a cigarette. He poured himself some milk. Ignoring the laughter in his brain as he pushed it
10: <laughs> Look at your hands, Archie. Look at them. <laughs> All crooked and hard and clutchy. Well. Like they were on my throat.
0: No, shut up! Archie threw himself on the bed and jammed the pillow against his ears. Fell into a dream worse than reality. Uh, 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 uh,
8: Hello? Huh? How'd you go? Huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, this is Archie Gold.
14: Uh, this is Mr. Gregg, Archie. I know this is your time to sleep, but it's important that you get down here right away.
8: Uh, is anything wrong, Mr. Gregg?
14: I can't tell you over the phone. Come down here. Goodbye.
0: All right, Mr. Gregg. After he'd and dressed, Archie felt a little better. After all, if they'd discovered anything, Mr. Gregg wouldn't have called. He'd have sent the police. Feeling of confidence stayed with him until he stood across the street from Greg's. He lost it then. It dropped with a sickening pain about his heart and a dry pinching about his lips. People were standing three deep in front of his window display, and he caught sight of a policeman's cap following Mr. Greg's bald head into the store. Well, were you thinking of going window shopping tomorrow? Hmm? <laughs> Want to be popular? Have lots of people crowding about you on the uh, sidewalk side of a plate glass window. Want to be a mannequin? <laughs> Look up Archie Gold. He's the mannequin doers. <laughs> hmm.
6: Well, all I can say is I'm glad that murderer is about to be caught.
0: Why, Mary, don't talk that way. It was really kind of Archie to put her on the mattress. She was so sleepy. In fact, she was dead to the world. <laughs> yes, the one to sorry for is Archie. Why, the poor fellow's shivering. Why don't you make him a cup of Lipton tea? Hmm?
6: <laughs> Lipton's is too good for him. And besides, he's probably too scared to taste the difference between Lipton's and ordinary teas. Yes, folks, Lipton tea is different. In the language of tea experts, Lipton's has a brisk flavor. And when they use that, use that word brisk... B-R-I-S-K They mean that Lipton tea tastes tangy and spirited Really full-bodied It's never flat or weak So get acquainted with that brisk flavor Why, you just don't know how good tea can be Till you know how good Lipton's is
7: Well,
0: let's see how good Archie's alibi is Remember Archie, the lonely little man Who dresses Greg's department store windows at night He just couldn't stand being spurned by Esther Newman any longer she laughed at him when he asked for a date, and now, Esther is a lifeless mannequin advertising the restful qualities of cozy kitten mattresses in the window display. And Archie enters the store to see what's in store for him.
8: Uh, uh Mr. Uh, Greg, I'm, uh... Archie Gold, come in, come in. Close the door. Sit down.
14: My boy, you know Miss Newman and our bookkeeping department?
8: Yes, sir. I knew her, but... I'd I'd, I'd like a chance. you're going to get a
14: chance, my boy. Before leaving on a week's vacation, Miss Newman completed our annual report.
8: Miss Newman is on vacation? Yes,
14: yes, yes. Which isn't important. The report shows we sold 16 cozy kitten mattresses in one year. Well, that's not many, is it, sir? It's terrible. We were stuck with 1,500 of them. Just a minute now. Jenkins. Jenkins. Yes,
11: Mr. Gregg?
14: How many mattresses have you sold now?
11: 802, sir.
14: You hear that gold? Yes, sir. Eight hundred and two mattresses in a couple of hours, and your window display did that, my boy. You're a genius, uh, Mr. Gregg. I. I've no, no, to... no, 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 no. I know just what you're going to say. Any man who has the imagination to put a woman dummy asleep in a
8: window, and such a dummy, so so peaceful. How much are we paying you, Archie? Thirty-six, forty-seven a week, sir.
14: Starting today, it's seventy-two, ninety-four, oh. and a private office. And you're the head window display manager of my three stars. Ha! Stunned you, huh?
8: Everything I've always wanted.
14: What's more? I've had pictures taken of that window with the crowds. And the paper promised to run it in tonight's edition. With your, your name.
8: Good? Yes, sir. I, I want you to know, sir, I, I appreciate it. Oh, all,
14: nonsense. But... Greg knows a bargain. Now go home to bed again or take tonight off.
8: Oh, no, no. I, uh, I, I have work to do. Ah,
14: got more good
8: ideas? Good, good. Uh, m- Mr. Greg. Yes, my boy. If if the mattresses are selling so well, we won't need the display. I I can take it out to... Oh, nonsense. Don't touch it.
14: We'll run this sale for two weeks. I just ordered 1,500 more mattresses.
0: Success and popularity was sweet to Archie's taste. But Archie knew a corpse, no matter how beautiful, cannot survive the sun beating through glass for long. And Archie knew that. It was a wretched rainy night. Greg's department store had long since closed its doors. The night belonged again to Archie. Now he had a nasty job to do. He drew the curtains across the big window. In case the officer was watching again. Esther was just a mannequin now, a mannequin of flesh and bones, but a mannequin. And Archie spoke to his mannequins. You've had a hard day, Esther,
8: darling, haven't you? Well, it's all over now. You never did anything for me alive. Dead, you brought me success. Now I've got to send you away. You're stiff and cold,
0: Esther. And you can't laugh now, can you? Esther couldn't laugh. And Archie opened the crates which contained the mannequin he had originally planned to ship. With a few simple tools and lots of work, he made Esther, the real Esther, conform to his original shipment: a torso, a pair of hands.
8: Yeah, who? who? Well, that's that's the alley door. Somebody's there. She a cop? Maybe. I've got 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 to act natural. After all, she's well hidden.
10: Uh, Could I come in? Please,
8: I'm so wet and tired a girl It's a girl Yes, yes, uh, uh, come in uh, Get out of that rain Thanks Why, you poor kid, you're soaked Come into the workshop I've got a heater in there
10: Oh, gosh, thanks
8: She was sent to me Someone to take Esther's place Feel better now?
10: Yeah, that's better you're very kind.
8: How did you happen to pick this store to knock at?
10: Well, oh, the alley seemed a good place to get out of the wind. It started to rain, and I saw your light.
8: Oh, I see. And you're broke.
10: Yeah. It's the usual story. I came to town from Philly to get a job. job was there, all right, but the boss wasn't on the level.
8: Well, don't you have a home? A parents or a husband, I mean? Uh-uh. Oh, that's no. a shame. And... Look, uh, stay, stay right there now I, I, I'll be right back uh,
10: you're, you're not uh, leaving me, are you?
8: No, no, I'm going to get a blanket To, to put across your shoulders I'll be right back
0: Of course he'll be right back Wasn't this just what he needed? Another mannequin to satisfy Esther's voice? Made sense The second time, it's easier It always is
8: Don't move, man. Huh? I'll put it across your shoulders.
10: All right. You're a very lonely man, aren't you, Mr.
8: Gold? How do you know that?
10: Because I like you.
8: How does that prove I'm lonely?
10: I like lonely people. Why? Because I'm terribly lonely myself. (laughs)
8: I've I got some coffee in the thermos here. I'll I'll get you some.
10: I like it here. I like to look at the mannequins, especially that handsome one there. What do you call him?
8: What do you mean, call him?
10: Well, you must talk to him. I would.
8: You're wonderful. You understand. Yeah, I, I do. I do talk to him. His name's Frank.
10: Uh,
8: Frank, meet May. May, this is Frank.
10: Hello, Frank. I'm sleepy, Frank. Oh,
8: May. Why did you come tonight? Why couldn't you have come two nights ago? uh, You're sleepy? Mm Mm-hmm.
10: I'm warm and sleepy. Uh,
8: look, I have three hours before my window has to be finished, and I have an errand that'll take me about an hour. You, you climb into the bed in the window, <laughs> and, and
10: people will see me in the window.
8: No, no, the the curtains are drawn. I'll, I'll wake you when I get back.
10: All right. Looks like the kind of bed I could sleep on forever,
7: Forever. <laughs>
0: doesn't always work out the way you planned it, see? Archie didn't want to murder Esther, but he did. Archie wants to murder May, but he'd rather not. Well, Archie drew the satin quilts over May. She smiled, closed her eyes with a murmured thanks, and was asleep. Archie knew now he loved her, that he must never listen to her speak again. While Archie carried the crates containing Esther's remains into the station wagon of the alley, a little man with a sad, droopy face and a derby hat argued with the night captain of the local police station.
8: I tell you, I know what I'm talking about. I, I stopped at Greg's window four times today. I, I know a corpse when I see one.
11: Well, I saw that window too. That's a dummy in that bed. I know a dummy when I see one.
8: I don't doubt that, Captain. You've had more experience with dummies than I have, but I've had more experience with corpses than you have. That's, that's a dead girl in the bed.
11: Now, what makes you so sure?
8: I've been an undertaker for 40 years. My name is Huzak. My establishment is down the block from Greg's store on 10th Street.
11: Uh, Okay, we'll check. Uh, Operator, get me Mr. Greg. Yeah, Greg's department store. Of course it is home. What else at this hour?
0: Archie had a plan. Excitement gripped him. But that habit of years was strong, and he talked to Esther as he piled her... Three coffins into the station wagon in the alley. Don't you worry, Esther. In a half hour, you'll be at the bottom of the river.
8: You shouldn't have laughed, Esther. Then,
0: I'll come back to May. Sure, Archie had a plan, all right. But it didn't include the little old undertaker who knew a corpse when he saw one, or an angry, sleepy Mr. Gregg. We're well, right then coming to a stop in front of the store.
14: This is an outrage, a preposterous, fantastic farce. Getting me down here in the middle of the night. Th- th-
11: prove I have a corpse in my window? I know, Mr. Gregg. I feel silly about it myself, but Mr. I here seems so sure.
8: The curtains are drawn in front of the window. We'll have to go inside.
14: No. In a minute, you're all going to look very silly. There. Does that look like a corpse?
11: No. You're right. It's not a corpse. It isn't a dummy either.
8: She's alive breathing.
11: There's something queer here. I'm going to look around outside. Archie!
7: Archie, go! Archie!
0: Archie! Archie didn't hear himself being paged. But at the entrance of the alley, he saw the police car in front, and he heard the police captain shouting from the sidewalk. That was when Archie decided it was better to be lonely. The lonely the better.
8: They found out. That's the police. They still found out. Hey, hey, you! Ah. Right now. Got to. They won't catch me. They won't. Got the lights spread. I gotta go through. Faster. Faster. Why can't it go faster? Not the truck, turn right. Turn!
0: Uh, no one ever heard Archie's last words. Uh, they bubbled through his torn throat as he lay in the glass-smashed window through which he crashed. No one. I'm... I'm...
8: so lonely. Low... so...
11: Here's your Archie Gold. Bet those crates will be interesting. Oh. <sighs> Awful. Awful.
0: Yeah. Quite a mess. No one was cruel enough to point out a gruesome bit of grisly humor. The lonely little man who'd spent so much time in display windows had created his final masterpiece. Archie had decorated his last window in Husek's funeral parlor. Lesson we learned from tonight's story is that murder doesn't pay. It's a losing business. Murderers are always in the uh, red. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's strenuous work, too. You're bound to find yourself a little stiff.
6: (laughs) Mr. Host, I did not like that story.
0: Well, neither did I, Mary. Imagine the cozy. Kitten mattress company pulling a smart advertising stunt like that on Lipton's time and for free.
6: (laughs) Now, that's not what I mean at all. And if you're worried about Lipton's, let me assure you that Lipton's is the largest selling brand of tea in the whole world. That's the kind of popularity that really counts. And folks, if you'll just once try Lipton tea, I think you'll be convinced, too. (laughs)
0: Well, I have to run along now, folks. Got some shopping to do in Greg's department store. What? Oh, I know it's late, but, um... You see, Archie and I shop at night to uh, avoid the shrouds, you know. (laughs) By the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Puzzle for Wantons by Patrick Quentin. Oh, and here's a special announcement. Next week's Inner Sanctum story, directed by Hyman Brown and brought to you by Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup, Next week's story is about a man whose dreams always come true. All he has to do is to dream that somebody's being murdered and... <laughs> Enough to keep you awake, isn't it? <laughs> oh, until we meet again next Tuesday, you, uh, you dream of me and I'll dream of you. <laughs> now it's time to close the squeaking door, so... Good night. Pleasant dreams...
6: Folks, here's a grand way to begin a meal. Serve Lipton's noodle soup. Lipton's takes no time to prepare, and yet it has a real fresh-cooked chickeny flavor. Yes, it tastes just like the chicken noodle soup you'd make right in your own kitchen. And Lipton's is economical, too. It costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. So, folks, don't forget to serve Lipton's noodle soup. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery.
14: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
3: At the very end there, you can hear them talking in the mm-hmm. background. You could I hear did. Raymond Edward Johnson and Mary Bennett talking in the background.
4: And what a great commercial that was for Lipton Soup. I know. Soup. It's like,
3: you can make your own chicken noodle soup right in It's your real chickeny, chickeny, too. It's very chickeny. <laughs> um, you know... uh the, the guy who played Raymond, Raymond Edward Johnson, I had the opportunity to meet him, too. He, unfortunately, um, came down with muscular sclerosis or muscular dystrophy. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was muscular sclerosis. And he, I, when I met him and interviewed him and taped a re, you know an interview with him, he was actually bedridden, but he was he was sharp as a wit. You know, he was super smart. You know, still and could remember. He could remember things when I talked about Inner Sanctum and all these shows that he was on. He was really, really nice, really, really kind yeah. guy. Um, it was so great to be able to have met so many of these people. Uh, luckily, I got hooked on these radio shows at a young age, age twelve, and I went to all of these conventions and I had my trusty. Tape recorder Good with night, me.
4: Your Radio Shack
3: and interviewed. Uh, yeah, I got to interview Raymond Edward Johnson. Hope you enjoyed the lonely sleep, September twenty fifth, nineteen forty five. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. Yesterday,
8: all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe
3: in yesterday. I think that's Andy Williams, right? Is that Andy Williams, Shantae? Yeah. Do you remember watching Andy Williams' television show as a kid?
4: you remember? I'm
3: sorry, I Gosh. don't. see, that's because I'm one year older than you. But you're, so. you're, you're much
4: older, though, Carl. It's just more <laughs> than a year. I used to
3: love watching Andy Williams. He was great on television. In our next hour, we will tune into Our Miss Brooks. You don't want to miss that, no, right? I wouldn't miss that. Gosh, I love Andy Williams. He was great. Got to work with him, too. I did a collection that Andy Williams selected the 60 greatest classic Christmas shows. He was fun to work with. He has with. a very distinct voice. Yeah. All right. We'll stick around because we'll be back in uh, right after the news. Right. of the WGN Radio Theater. We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. till 3 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, Lisa, in this hour, we are going to play Our Miss Brooks. And you know what? If I was the producer of Our Miss Brooks back in the 1940s and you auditioned for this part... You'd cast me. I would have cast you.
4: Well, you cast me for this part. And I'm kind of liking this uh, WGN Radio Theater co-host part. You
3: might have gotten the job over Eve Arden. Well, that's you would have been a great. That's
4: the highest of compliments. Thank you.
3: I really. You would have. You would have. You would have knocked it out of the park. I
4: think so too. Because you have
3: that uh, teaching in your blood. Well, that's true. You've been a teacher. In your real life,
4: I feel like I'm still a teacher, Carl. Because you and I are always <laughs> you're always uh, teaching me discussing things. things. <laughs> what did,
3: you, did you, you? We were driving here this uh, this evening, and uh, what did I say? I said something, uh, well, and you're like, "But well,
4: you were trying to say the word impervious."
3: Oh, impervious! Are you sure that was the word? I'm sure. Impervious. Yeah. And then she. You said to something
4: say, completely different, but I knew what you were trying to impervious say.
3: Impervious to bullets.
4: I think you said previum Imper- or something.
3: Uh, but Lisa helped me with that. Yeah,
4: you why know, not? When
3: you've gone to school <laughs> seventy-two years, like Lisa has, you
4: got to get something out
3: of it. When you've been in school that long, you know. When Lisa, when they were like, they actually said to Lisa, "You can't go to school anymore." Lisa, who was they? Your principal. They said, listen. (laughs)
4: The principal of the college said, no more school for you.
3: You have had, this is it. You can't do this anymore. You're 54- you need to be ah. done with school now. Well, here's get, the thing. Get out there and have a real life.
4: I honestly think this is why we work together so well, because you are the expert on classic radio, and I have expertise that help you in the, in, and the rest I mean, of the, in the other, and on all the other, other area. areas.
3: Yeah, because classic radio, you know, I've got it over I you I mean, a when it bit. comes to social media. i got m- the classic radio Yes, you do. I, I give that to you, you 100%. everything else over me (laughs) so that's that's pretty fair we
4: we balance each other out beautifully
3: yep our miss brooks in this hour from 1949 we're gonna have a lot of fun with that we have just the facts too from 1949 that's all coming your way after these words
2: ladies and
5: gentlemen the story you're about to hear is true the names have been changed to protect the ladies earth. and germs
4: this is our just the facts segment for our ladies and germs 1949 the year of our miss brooks that we are about to play mm-hmm. so carl last week when we were talking about games this is a game that you said that you actually do have in your house because i asked you if you had monopoly and you said you did not but you have any other games
3: in my house I have games yeah I have you mentioned um, a Clue
4: that's the one Yeah. so Clue of course the murder mystery game was released to the United States in 1949 wow. by Parker Brothers mm-hmm. of course the object of the game discover what who done it mm-hmm. where and how the murder was committed right it's a lot of fun so yeah, Clue is fun yeah it was devised by a man his name is Anthony Pratt he's from England of course since I then that's the
3: game it's called Clue. Clue. It's
4: been Clue. relaunched, updated several times. It's currently owned by Hasbro. Mm. In now this is great. Now in 2008, Hasbro redesigned and updated the board, the yeah. characters, the weapons, the rooms. Right. So the revolver is now a pistol. Now I don't know how that helps things. Any? It's the same thing. That's what I think. Uh, the lead pipe and the wrench—they're gone.
3: They're gone. Well, that I understand.
4: And, um, and a baseball bat, an axe. A dumbbell, a trophy, and poison have don't all been me added. Don't call a
3: dumbbell on the air like that. Well, on, Lisa. I'll
4: try to just, just only do that off the air.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
4: so, you know, they take out a revolver and add an axe and a pistol. I don't know mm-hmm. if it means anything. I
3: mean, a pistol and a revolver, kind of the same thing. Right?
4: So what's the point? I don't know. But 1949 was the year of clues. Yeah. Oh, so, so there you okay. go. go okay. Oh, and you know what? We have a commercial for it.
7: A detective
12: has to be observant, cautious, and cool. <laughs> when you play Clue, you have to figure out who did it. There are suspects, weapons, and scenes for a crime.
4: Hmm. Mm, there it was. Early, it's, it's an early TV commercial yeah. for Clue. Also in 1949, the film Hamlet, um, was, to be or not to be, um, Hamlet that was is the was the best film Oscar winner
3: to be not to be. Took too long of a pause in between there, Too long, you
4: should be that directing. Too
3: dramatic. Alright,
4: you were nah, Olivier should man, be Man, I would have said,
3: listen, <laughs> Lawrence, baby, come here.
4: Come here, let's talk. Let
3: me, let me teach you a little something about acting. Okay.
4: <laughs> well, of course, this was adapted and directed by and starring Sir Lawrence Olivier, mm-hmm. and Hamlet was his second film as director. Hamlet was the first British film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm. And um, it actually proved controversial when it came out. Do you know why?
3: Mm, No.
4: Okay, so there were all these Shakespeare purists who felt that Olivier made too many alterations to the four-hour play because he condensed it to a two-hour play. Play, which oh. is you know, two-hour yeah. film out of four-hour play. Right. Also, the top song sung uh, by songwriter Johnny Marks, based on the 1939 story Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. Was the song 1949 Rudolph number one on the U.S. charts Had week of Christmas 1949.
3: Nose. This song goes back to 1949. It sure did. Really?
4: Yeah. And you this song was published by the Montgomery oh. Ward Company. This uh, the 1939 Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. They made like 39? a. Or well, 49. Well, it was based on a 39, 1939 story. The mm. The song came out in 1949, and uh, Gene Autry's hit was number yeah. one in the charts in 1949. Yeah,
3: that was Gene Autry there, huh? Yep, sure wow. was. Wow. Okay, thanks, Lisa. Yes. Thanks for just the facts, Always. man. Okay, we are here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning playing all your favorite classic radio shows, and we have a text in line, 312-981-7200. We love getting you. Your texts, but now it's time for our Miss Brooks. Oh, I love this series. This was on a long time. Came to radio in 1948. Lasted all the way into like the mid 50s, and made a very successful transition to television. It originally starred. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Shirley Booth. Mm. They cast Shirley Booth. She later played Hazel. Sure, remember? Of course. On uh, you know on TV. Well, it didn't work with her. They re- they did an audition record. And they tried to sell it and people were like, Mason Mason Adams played Mr. Boynton, the uh, school's biology teacher on that audition record with Shirley Booth. And um, there were artistic differences over the writing, and Shirley Booth left the project. They might have kept her for a while, but actually, I don't think it were, would have worked out with her. she I don't think she had the right kind of tonality. She had a different voice.
4: kind of a voice. Certainly. Kind of a
3: high-pitched voice. Kind of more voice. nasal. Then they were uh, wanting Lucille Ball, but she was already committed to mm-hmm. My Favorite Husband. Then they were thinking about Joan Blondell. But ultimately, you know who made the uh, decision? The president of CBS, William Paley himself, said, "You know what? Eve Arden is the uh, woman for the role." And she he was right. She got the role. She played ninth-grade English teacher Connie Brooks, and it began in 1948. What a great series. And we're going to listen to an episode now from January 23rd, 1949. It's called The Head of the English Department. Here's Eve Arden in Our Miss Brooks.
15: Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring
14: Eve Arden.
1: Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has always hoped that someday she would head her department. But with Mrs. Emma Finch holding down the job for the past five years, it didn't look like Connie Brooks would ever get a crack at it until last week.
16: It was right before the final exams that Mr. Conklin, our principal, told me Mrs. Finch was not only retiring from the position, but actually leaving the school. When I asked him why, he blushed and replied, because it's best for all concerned. Oddly enough, it was our bashful biology teacher, Mr. Boynton, who finally told me the reason. We were alone in his laboratory at the time, and he said, Miss Brooks, Mrs. Finch is going to have a -A B-A-B-Y. I guess he put it that way so as not to embarrass some young rabbits who were listening. Anyway, Friday morning at breakfast, I was talking to my landlady, Mrs. Davids, about it. Well, what do you think, Mrs. Davis? Do you suppose I'll get the job? I can't see any reasons why you shouldn't, Connie. Honestly? But can you see any reasons why I should,
17: Mrs. Davis? No, I can't see any of those either. (laughs) It's up to Mr. Conklin to recommend the new department head to the Board of Education, isn't it?
16: Yes, it is. Well, how do you stand with him? How do you mean, Mrs. Davis?
17: Have you been, um, courteous, um, cooperative, uh,
16: obedient, and, uh... Um, respectful? Uh, no, uh, no, uh, no. And maybe i better forget the whole thing. (laughs) Of course, it's not entirely up to Mr. Conklin's opinion of me personally. My work's got something to do with it, hasn't it? Frankly, Connie, your work should have everything to do with it. That's what I say. Maybe i better forget the whole thing.
17: (laughs) Are there any other English teachers at
16: Madison who have been there as long as you have? Let's see. Yes, Miss Enright's been there about the same length of time, and... She's been quite friendly with the Conklin's, too. Of course, I have Mr. Conklin's daughter, Harriet, in my class, and we're great friends. Then that wouldn't influence Mr. Conklin any. Although Harriet's a pretty good pupil, thank goodness, and her marks have all been exceptionally high. That might count for something with the old, I wonder if he'll make his decision right away. (laughs) He might leave the position open for a while. I wish I knew, but then there's no sense in brooding about it. I'm either to be head of the department or I'm not to be.
17: Oh, thanks for reminding me, Connie I must get two tickets for Hamlet today I promised my sister Angela I'd take her to see it Of course, even if I forgot about it She'd probably never even mention it She's so absent-minded, poor thing The older she gets, the more forgetful she is How old is she now, Mrs. Davis? Two <laughs>
7: Your
16: sister. Which one? (laughs) Angela, the absent minded one.
17: Oh, she's in the low 70s. That's pretty good golf for an old lady. is not half as bad as my brother Victor He's so forgetful sometimes Why, do you know, Connie He can be talking to you about something And right in the middle of the sentence Get off on another topic altogether Really? Yes, it's quite disconcerting But I guess it's just something that scrambled, boiled, or fried, Connie Well, I suppose you just have to
16: What?
7: (laughs) Your eggs,
16: dear How would you like them? I'd like them introduced into the conversation a little earlier. (laughs) But now that you bring it up, Mrs. Davis, I'll take them any way you want yours. Good. Then we'll both have oatmeal. (laughs)
7: That's
16: the only way to eat eggs. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't miss Snake Pit. Uh, (laughs) Where's the coffee, Mrs. Davis? Right here, Connie. I'll pour you some. Thanks. You know, it isn't just the extra salary that makes me so anxious to head the English department. It's the additional income. (laughs) How much of a raise will you get, Connie? Oh, I'm not certain of the exact amount, Mrs. Davis, but it's well over nine dollars a month. Just think, I won't have to put newspapers in my shoes when the soles wear out. (laughs) Now I can use magazine paper.
7: (laughs)
17: You mentioned a Miss Enright before, Connie. Is that the rather snooty
16: teacher you told me about? That's her, Mrs. Davis. And if she gets that job as head of the English department, she'll be impossible. Well, she walks around the school now as if she's inspecting the stockyards.
7: The <laughs> way she talks
16: to people. Why, darling, you look positively chic. I mean, just too, too terribly soignee. <laughs> It's sickening. Oh, then,
17: don't eat any more oatmeal, dear. Just finish your coffee.
16: You've been derailed again, Mrs. Davis. Let me help you back on the track. I'm talking about Miss Enright, a rival English teacher. She's
17: got me worried. Oh, don't worry about her, Connie. I'm sure her baby will be a fine, healthy specimen. She isn't the one who's going to have the baby, Mrs. Davis. Well, that's a shame. I think the mother should always take care of her own baby, no matter what. It's Mrs. Finch who's having the baby. Who? Mrs. Finch. Oh, well, that's a very nice name for a baby. (laughs) If you'll
16: excuse me, Connie, I'd better clean up the dishes. All right, Mrs. Davis, you clean up the dishes, and I'll clean up the conversation by myself. I'd help you in the kitchen, but I've got to get ready to go to school. Walter Denton's picking me up any minute. Oh, Walter's such a nice boy. It's a pity he's
17: not a more brilliant student. But I think I know what his trouble is, Connie. Lack of concentration. Concentration? Yes. If he would just concentrate on one subject at a time. You see, he's the kind of a boy who... Well, he's the type that... uh, uh, Connie? Yes? What were we talking about?
7: (laughs)
16: Walter Denton. Oh, he's picking you up this morning, isn't he?
17: What happened to your
16: car, Connie? You just got it out of the repair shop. I know, Mrs. Davis, but I took it out the night of the big freeze. Oh, it froze. <laughs> I did try to warm it up a little. I poured some boiling water into the radiator, but then the engine made the strangest sound. What kind of a sound, Connie? Well, I may be wrong, Mrs. Davis, but I'd swear it said, "Why don't you get yourself a bicycle?" <laughs> I'm glad you picked me up a little early this morning, Walter
18: Today may be a very important day in my life Well, the importance of today or any day in your life, Miss Brooks Is only exceeded by your importance to your adoring pupils Of which, if I may be so bold I consider myself one of the most worshipful and reverent Amen (laughs) Thank you, Walter Uh, There are things about you, Miss Brooks Character traits, I guess you'd call them Which are not to be found in any other teachers I've ever come into contact with I just know that you are an eminently fair person I also know that you're kind, gentle, and considerate of those who may not possess a superior mentality Which is obviously your birthright What else do you know, Walter? That today you're giving us the final exams in English Mm. (laughs) you were a little over smitten with me this morning (laughs) Oh, I'm not trying to influence you to give me a better mark Oh no, I'd bend over backwards rather than curry favor But I've actually studied for this test, Miss Brooks Uh, Even Saturday when Harriet dragged me to the movies I took my books right up to the balcony with me What were you studying, Romeo and Juliet? (laughs) Ah, you're kidding me, Miss Brooks But I'm serious I really crammed in that movie But how could you read in the dark? Oh, it isn't always dark They have a three-minute intermission between pictures. (laughs) Well, that's plenty of
16: time, especially if you were studying in shorthand.
18: (laughs) Of course, not knowing exactly what the questions are going to be about makes it a little tougher. Naturally. It's sort of a strain on a student not to know approximately the nature of the questions he should expect. That's true. And... Just because a student has been fortunate enough to make a personal contact with a teacher whom he not only admires and respects as a person, but whose integrity and honesty as an instructor he holds in such high esteem, there's no reason for him to presume that just because he drives her to school faithfully and promptly she would relinquish just one tiny iota of that integrity and slip him a little advance information about the test. (laughs) Is it?
16: You're so right, Walter? (laughs)
18: <laughs> I knew you'd react that way, Miss Brooks But I, I just wouldn't have felt completely honest with myself If I didn't try to chisel a tip or two <laughs> Anyway, now that you've dummed up about the tests Maybe Excuse we... Excuse me, Walter Now that I've what? Dummied up It's a synonym of clammed up When I don't want anyone to know something About something I know about I always clam up And
16: you're the chatterhead who can do it <laughs> But, Walter, when I mentioned much earlier in the trip that this was an important day, I wasn't referring to the final exam. You weren't? No, I was thinking of Mrs. Finch. Oh, oh, the head of the English department. The ex-head of the English department, Walter. Mrs. Finch is leaving Madison. Why? Because she's... uh, Well, Mrs. Finch is going to become a mother. Of who? Now that's a fair question (laughs) Of her son or daughter, as the case may be
18: I didn't know Mrs. Finch had any son or daughter Walter, you're not related to Mrs. Davis, are you? (laughs) Oh, no
16: No, of course not She's just (laughs) absent-minded Look, Walter What concerns me at the moment
18: is whether or not I have a chance to replace Mrs. Finch as head of the department A chance? Why, you're a standout, Miss Brooks You've been teaching at Madison long enough to be the principal I mean, Mr. Conklin should certainly choose you over anybody else. How about Miss Enright? Oh, gee, I forgot about her. Now, she's even older than you are, isn't she? Oh, in point of service, that is.
16: Oh, I'm glad you tagged that on, Walter. Nobody could be older than me in years.
18: (laughs) Not this morning, anyway. Oh, don't you worry about it, Miss Brooks. But why don't you see Mr. Conklin when we get to school and have a little chat with him? You know, turn on the charm, sort of. You mean butter him up? Butter him up? Yes, and don't
16: sound so innocent, Walter. After the job you did on me this morning, you should get a prize from the Dairyman's Association.
1: (laughs) Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors
15: prove you too may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap,
6: but to win this lovelier complexion, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive the way doctors advised.
15: 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advised using palm olive soap this way for 1,285 women with all types of skin. Young, old, dry, oily, normal. And using palm olive soap alone, nothing but palm olive, two out of three won lovelier complexions. Oily skin looked less oily. Dull, drab skin, wonderfully brighter. Coarse looking skin appeared finer. Even tiny blemishes, incipient blackheads, disappeared or improved. Now here's what the doctors advised.
6: Wash your face with palm olives soap three times a day. Massage with palm olives wonderful beauty lather for 60 seconds each time to get its full beautifying effect. Then rinse.
15: Look for improvement in your complexion within 14 days. For doctors prove this way, using Palmolive alone really works. So forget all other beauty care. Get Palmolive soap and start today to win a lovelier complexion.
16: For loveliness
6: all over, use big thrifty bath size, palm olive in your tub or shower.
18: Well, here we are, Miss Brooks. Good old Madison High. You know, every time I look at these hallowed walls, I wish for just one thing. What's that, Walter? I wish I was still home in bed. (laughs) Especially today with those finals coming up. Gosh, Miss Brooks, isn't there some little suggestions you could make to me so I'd pass the exam? hmm? Certainly there is, Walter. Answer the questions correctly. Yeah. Well, you better get off here, Miss Brooks, and I'll go park the car. All right, Walter, thanks for the lift, and good luck today. Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks, and good luck with Mr. Conklin. Well,
16: probably needed. I hope he's in a good mood this morning. Although, why, this morning should be any better... Hello, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's Harriet Conklin. Good morning, Harriet. I wouldn't have interrupted your soliloquy, but you look sort of worried about something. Worried? Me? Whatever gave you that idea?
9: Your complexion. It's not as ruddy as it usually is.
16: Oh, that's just from the new powder base I'm using. It's called Elephant Wallow Gray. (laughs) Actually, though, I do have something on what's left of my mind, Harriet. It's Mrs. Finch. She's leaving the school. Yes, I know. I heard she was going to have a B-A-B-Y. Who told you? Mr. Boynton. That figure.
7: <laughs> but,
16: Harriet, as you must know, you've always been one of my favorite pupils. I'm glad you feel that way, Miss Brooke.
9: You're my very favorite teacher. Thanks. I'm very fond of your mother, too. I know. And she's terribly fond of you, Miss Brooke. I'm glad.
16: Then there's your father...
9: Yes, I know
16: Well, Harriet, do you think that I was going to... Well, that is... Well, what are you trying to ask me, Miss Brooks? Do you think he's warm enough for buttering this morning? <laughs> At least do you think I should have a little talk with him in his office About what? Well, somebody's got to replace Mrs. Finch As head of the English department, and I figured. Oh, but of course you'll get it Is that from the horse's mouth or just rumor? <laughs> I mean, did you happen to overhear anything that... Look, Harriet... I don't want anybody to intercede for me because of any personal relationship we may have built up between us. What I'm trying to say is, well, I wouldn't want any principal's daughter, not even a clever, bright, pretty, industrious, talented, intelligent one like yourself, to become a fifth column for me. (laughs) Golly, Miss Brooks, nothing I
9: could say would sway Daddy one inch. In fact, Mother and I bend over backwards rather than suggest anything about his duties at school but I'm so sure you're our next head of the English department that I've even written a little poem about it. Care to hear it?
16: Well, if you don't think it'll put the whammy on me. Uh, jinx anything.
9: (laughs) To the head of the English department about to be, I present this little tribute to you from me. In class, you're good-tempered and don't fume or fret. Well, when it comes to our homework, you sure make us perspire. <laughs> <laughs> and in the forthcoming exams, whether I'm first or last, my feelings for you will be the same, especially if I've passed. So Miss Brooks all hailed the head of the English department about
16: to be. Well, what do you think of it, Miss Brooks? It won't send Carl Sandberg screaming into the hills, Harriet. <laughs> it's a lovely sentiment. Now, before I go into your father's lair, a den, a office, (laughs) could you tell me what kind of a mood he's in? Frankly, Miss Brooks, it isn't too
9: good. When the newsboy that delivers our paper came around for the money this morning, Daddy bit his head off.
16: Fine. Then he should be too full to take a bite out of me. (laughs) Come in. Morning, Mr. Conklin.
19: Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks.
16: And how are you this bright, cheery, radiant day?
19: I'm cold, damp, and depressed. <laughs> <laughs> now, what can I do for you that won't take longer than a few minutes?
16: Oh, it isn't what you can do for me, Mr. Conklin. It's what can I do for you? Oh, I know. I'll sharpen some pencils for you. Here's one. Uh, Miss
19: Brooks, I don't want you to sharpen. Oh, any but pencils. this
16: one is so blunty. <laughs> It'll just take a minute. There Isn't that a lovely point? But I don't Give me your thumb a minute Uh, Ow! See what I mean? Now, I'll just do a few more of them and you'll have enough for the week. Confound it, Miss Brooks.
19: I don't want any more of my pencil shop.
16: Oh, it's really no trouble at all, Mr. Conklin. This is just one of those days when a person feels privileged to assist his fellow man. A day when a spirit of cooperation seems to beckon like a beacon.
19: <laughs> or a day when Mrs. Finch is leaving Madison and her position as head of the English department.
16: Mrs. Finch leaving Madison? Yes, Miss Brooks
19: I think I told you that several days ago
16: Oh, yes, of course I've been so busy preparing my final examination papers It must have slipped my mind She's going to have a -A B-A-B-Y, isn't she? Y-E-S Oh yes (laughs) She is going to have a baby Well, I just know they'll be happy together (laughs) Now let's see what else I can do to make this office a home away from home for you I know, I'll just rinse out this pen wiper for you
19: Uh, that happens to be a blue pocket handkerchief I got for Christmas (laughs) (laughs) Must have fallen out of my coat
16: Oh, then I'll tuck it back in for you May I say you have a lovely eye for color combinations, Mr. Conklin? It goes so well with this pretty purple tie you've got on (laughs) But it seems a little loose around your neck let me tighten it a bit. There. Miss <laughs> Brooks. There, that's better. Now you're both the same color.
7: <laughs>
16: See,
19: here, Miss Brooks, I don't know what you expect to get Oh, from this. I must
16: clean off that desk of yours, Mr. Good. Conklin. And why in the world does that big open inkwell have to be perched right in the middle of everything? Because
19: I like it that way. Now listen to me, young man.
16: I'll have things in shape in no time. First, we'll move these papers next to the inkwell, and then... Oh.
19: Now, where is the ink well perched, Miss Brooks?
16: Oh, don't worry about that, Mr. Conklin. Ink is good for the rug. <laughs> where is that ashes? Well, anyway, I'll go get a mop. Uh, and...
19: Sit down, Miss Brooks.
16: Sit down?
19: Yes, yes. As you know, I spent considerable time in the Army as a major.
16: Yes, I know, Mr. Conklin. And it always gave me a great feeling of security to know that somebody like you. Quiet! Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. <laughs>
19: At ease (laughs) Now then, Miss Brooks From my army experience It's obvious to me that you are bucking for something
16: Bucking, Mr. Conklin?
19: It's a colloquialism, Miss Brooks It means that in order to gain some end of your own You are acting like an eager beaver
16: (laughs) Want some pencil sharpened? No! Tell you the
7: truth,
16: Mr. Conklin I just wanted to butter you up Now what? Come in! Good morning, Mr.
20: Conklin oh, well,
19: well, it's Miss Enron
20: Oh, and Miss Brooks is here, too How nice Darling, you look positively chic I mean, just too, too terribly soigné uh,
7: Thanks <laughs> Loads
20: <laughs> But what are you doing in school so early, darling? You're usually tearing into your room like a mad thing Minutes after the bell is rung <laughs>
16: You must have telescopic vision to see me from the bus you're just catching at that time.
20: <laughs>
19: well, uh, what can I do for you, Miss Enright?
16: Oh, it isn't
20: what you can do for me, Mr. Conklin. It's, it's what, what can, can I, I do, do for you. For you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I'll sharpen some pencils for you, Mr. Conklin. Uh, thanks.
19: Just the same, Miss Enright. Or but maybe I could all...
20: straighten out your desk. Oh, Heavens, what happened to this inkwell?
16: I already straightened out his desk.
20: (laughs) Well, don't worry about it, Mr. Conklin. I'm sure you can pick up another rug like that for five or six hundred dollars. Oh, before I forget, I'd like you to have these woolen socks. I knitted them myself.
19: Uh, But, Miss Enright, I don't... It was
20: a labor of love, Mr. Conklin. I worked on these socks just every available moment I wasn't faithfully discharging my duties as an English teacher. They're merely a slight expression of my gratitude for having been granted the privilege of working for such a warm, kindly, and considerate boss as yourself.
16: This kid melts it before she spreads it
7: on. (laughs)
19: Uh, thank you for the thought, Miss Enright, but with Mrs. Finch leaving
16: Madison
20: oh, and a number of...
16: is she really? Uh, well, this is a big surprise. It must be. You look even more surprised than you did when we heard about it last Tuesday.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
19: that will do, Miss Brooks. Miss <coughs> <laughs> Enright, in view of the fact that you are eligible for the position that Mrs. Finch is relinquishing, I feel that I cannot accept this pair of socks.
16: But Mr. Conklin, whatever shall I do with him? You can give one to Mrs. Finch's baby. It'll make a nice sleeping bag for him.
7: <laughs>
19: I think you should know, ladies, that my selection will be based largely upon the results your students achieve in their final exams this morning. Therefore, you will not mark your own papers, but bring them into this office immediately after the tests are completed.
16: Are you going to mark them, Mr. Conklin?
19: Certainly not, Miss Brooks. My daughter Harriet is one of the students taking the test. No, no, in order to assure complete impartiality, I've asked someone from another department to correct the papers. Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton? Oh, I know that you see each other socially on occasion, but he's the soul of honesty. And I know that he, like myself, would bend over backwards to see that justice is done.
16: Who's teaching everybody to bend over backwards, Arthur Murray? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think this arrangement is completely fair, Mr.
20: Conklin. I never see Mr. Boynton.
16: Well, if it'll make you feel any better, Miss Enright, I'm not going to see him again either. Until lunch.
2: If you'll just tell me what you want, Miss Brooks, I'll take your tray. Oh,
16: I'm too nervous to eat anything right now, Mr. Boynton. I'll wait until I find out the result of this morning's exam. The uh, one you're marking, Mr. Boynton.
2: Oh. Uh, Well, that's something I'd rather not talk about, Miss Brooks. You see, I promised Mr. Conklin...
16: I know you've got to be strictly impartial, Mr. Boynton, but couldn't you give me just an inkling of how I'm making out?
2: But I gave my word, Miss
16: Brooks. Just a teensy suggestion of the merest trace of a breath of a hint.
2: But I gave Mr. Conklin my scout's honor...
16: Well, then you might as well get yourself something to eat Oh, very well, Miss Brooks I hope you swallow a merit badge There you are, dear Mr.
20: Boynton Oh,
2: hello, Miss Enright Uh,
20: May I share this table with you? The cafeteria is awfully crowded today Oh,
2: I I don't see why not, Miss Enright I do Uh
20: Oh, (laughs) hello, darling Oh, Mr. Boynton, before I forget... I'd like you to have these woolen socks. I knitted them especially for you.
7: (laughs) Socks? Uh,
2: I don't think I should, Miss Enright. You see, I'm still judging your examination papers, but thanks just the same. Now, if you'll tell me what you'd like to eat.
20: Well, uh, let me see. Oh,
16: I see they have turkey today. Would you get me a drumstick, Mr. Boynton? Why don't you get two drumsticks and put the socks on them?
7: (laughs)
19: Miss Brooks, Miss Enright, I have summoned you to my office to tell you that Mr. Boynton has finished grading the examination papers and has reported to me that both of your classes have done equally well. Therefore, it will have to be my decision after all.
20: And that decision is, dear Mr. Conklin, I have decided. Yes, dear
16: Mr. Conklin.
19: Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have decided that for the coming fiscal year, I shall save the Board of Education exactly $9.85 per month. There will be no head of the English department in this school.
16: Why, darling, what in the world are you doing? Just breaking some of the pencils I sharpened this morning.
15: Try luster cream shampoo and be a
1: dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl, you owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
16: Well, I was a little depressed about not getting the job as head of the English department. But I perked up the following night when Mr. Boynton came by and took me to the movies. As we got to the theater, he stepped up to the box office.
2: Uh, two tickets, please.
16: Here, Mr. Boynton, let me buy my own ticket.
2: Why, Miss Brooks, I wouldn't think of it.
16: Well, that's very nice.
2: You can pay me for yours when we get inside.
7: <laughs>
16: Thank you, and good night, Diamond Jim Boynton. <laughs>
15: Tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show Brought to you by Palmolive Soap Your Beauty Hope And Luster Cream Shampoo
1: For soft, glamorous, caressable hair Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden Is produced by Larry Burns Written and directed by Al Lewis With music by Wilbur Hatch Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan And Mary Jane Croft (laughs) Here's good shaving news. Three men out of every four can get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves with Pommelit Brushless shaving cream. This is not just a claim. Here's the proof. 1,297 men tried the Pommelit Brushless way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they shaved before, three men out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try Pommelit Brushless yourself. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves, the proved, plum olive brushless way.
15: Here is an important message that concerns all of us. Last year, 26,000 children were stricken by infantile paralysis. All of us can help fight infantile paralysis by joining the March of Dimes now. Send your dimes and dollars to your local March of Dimes headquarters. Don't put it off. Join the
1: March of Dimes today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting fun fact adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS,
7: the Columbia Broadcasting System. Smith-
3: That's our Miss Brooks from January 23rd, 1949, head of the English Department, starring Eve Arden as uh, Connie Brooks. A great cast. Richard Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Jane Morgan, Gail Gordon, of course, Lucille foil for so many years. Mary Jane Croft, Jeff Chandler. What a terrific lineup. Bob? Laman doing the announcing that was sponsored by Palm Olive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo was heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Did you like it,
4: Lisa? I sure did. You love our. I I sure do. Who
3: doesn't love our? I kind of
4: love those comedies. Yeah,
3: I know you do. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater.
12: Do is touch my hand To show me you understand And something happens to me That's some kind of wonderful Anytime my little world sees blue I just have to look at you And everything seems to be Some kind of wonderful
3: Man, this is great music, right?
4: All of this has been I, really, really, I you love, know, gives you the feel and, of, yeah. of classic radio of the
3: 30s, the 40s, the 50s. I love playing the music. Some kind of wonderful. Uh-oh,
4: now this is where we draw the line.
3: <laughs> no singing, right? <laughs> no singing. Boy, do I wish I could sing.
4: Yeah, well... You know? If you I know, had one people superpower, people don't sing like that anymore. They don't have that crooner voice very often. If I
3: had, if I could have one superpower, it would be to fly. To but then fly? my second superpower would be to sing.
4: I, I would like to be invisible. Really? When, yeah. Don't you want to just be that fly on the wall sometimes?
3: Like Vincent Price? <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> or you know. Uh, there's a lot of situations so you just see. Our sorta- listeners
3: would know what that means when I say, like, Vincent Price. They'd know that Vincent <laughs> Price played The Fly. So, so did uh, Jeff Goldblum, though. Right? Right? Yeah, in the, that like, I, the 90s. That, that I was know. a good movie. Yeah, Remember that great movie? Great movie. Oh, yeah. The Fly. Yeah. That was a good uh, sequel. Well, not a sequel, but a remake. Yeah. Remake. Um, see what they're doing with all these big movies. They're pushing them all back. Like the yeah. James Bond movie yeah, got there's pushed. There's no
4: filming right now. All these
3: big movies are getting pushed because of this coronavirus. Well, yeah, it's not thing. just
4: movies. It's you know I mean, every walk of life is affected. Psh-
3: we saw all these sporting events and everything—it's crazy. crazy, crazy, crazy. It's, it's a crazy time.
4: It's a—it's a good time you know? for classic radio. It is a to good sit time Sit back for and relax, radio. and leave your troubles behind, and, and yeah, enjoy escape. a, it's an a escapism, little escape, right? or you know, a Michael Shane detective, or maybe an inner sanctum mystery. Yeah.
3: You know what? Next uh, hour, we are, we do have escape. How do They're you like escape? that? That's—I well, didn't even plan that. <laughs> <laughs> the man with the steel teeth. He didn't even have to, he used like, uh, what did he use to brush his teeth if he had steel teeth? Hmm. like Maybe um, he
4: doesn't need to brush them.
3: Probably not. <laughs> All right, so we have Escape coming your way in the next hour. We also have Just the Facts from 1953 or into the 50s yeah. for that, right? sure. sure yeah. Think. And then after that, we have a, um, a St. Patty's Day story on Favorite story with Ronald Coleman as host. Then Michael Shane Detective. He was an Irish detective. I did two kind of St. Patty's Day uh, tributes there. And then our last program for the evening will be The Unexpected. So stick around. We'll be here till 3 o'clock in the morning on WGN. This is the WGN Radio Theater.
0: By my suitcase Trying to find A warm
7: place
0: To spend the night Heavy rain falling Seems I hear your voice Calling it's all right
2: A rainy night In Georgia Georgia it seems like it's raining all over the world
3: it was snowing this afternoon it was
4: snowing today it's raining, it's raining in Georgia, <laughs> in Georgia. <laughs>
3: yeah I looked out my window and it was snowing
4: oh well I was outside playing in the snow
3: <laughs> with little simba
4: that's right
3: it's a rainy night in Georgia man why wow, I wish I could sing
4: yeah, I you wish know, you could too.
3: I really wish I could sing too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then people wouldn't be turning the dial, Turn the dial when I, when I, I start sing. to sing.
4: Yeah, well, <sighs> you just keep it for the shower.
3: Yeah, That's
4: you should, the best I place. sound great. In the I shower. bet you do. I,
3: oh man, it's like I could win American Idol. You know, if there was, if, <laughs>
4: if, the if judges, Simon wanted to if, join if me in the shower. If they wanted to visit you in your bathroom. Right. right I sound well,
3: really good in the shower. Yeah, most acoustics people do. Are, the acoustics are They're great excellent. there. excellent. Really good there.
4: <laughs> but not so much in the studio, So, just so
3: we're I clear. need a Mr. Microphone in the shower. Yes, right? that's a lot of fun. I could fun. be, hey, come on back and meet you up later. Remember those commercials? Yeah, those Mr. Microphone commercials? Yeah, well, commercials?
4: You, have, you have the ultimate microphone right in front of you.
3: <laughs> well, this one's hooked up to a 50,000 watt blowtor. <laughs> George, That's
4: the ultimate. Heard all
3: across the country with That's this right. microphone here.
4: Yep.
3: You know, mess around at WGN. <laughs>
4: That's right. There's no Mr. Microphone here.
3: I remember, you know, growing up in Chicago listening to WGN and. Just being like, gosh, I hope someday, someday, I prayed a lot about it. Someday, I hope I could have a radio show, right? At here. WGN, See? and you know what? Sometimes, sometimes, dreams comes true. You get, you know, uh, sometimes uh, you, get you, no, you get what you need. No, get what you need. There we go. No, and then I used to be on with Eddie Schwartz a lot, yeah. and I remember watching him work. That he was, he used to work those. books. The board, like, wow, like nobody's business.
4: Yeah, well... And I was like, wow, is he good, man. We, uh, now we, I can't we're so happy we have Shantae for that. Thankfully, we have Shantae. <laughs> Very thankful for the expert because over there. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I'm pretty sure I you really can't. I really
3: don't think I I can't sing, and I can't work well, the board. Yeah,
4: we had a little instruction one day here, remember, on yes, how to work the board when they upgraded, and we didn't uh, take to it too quickly. Right.
3: Just not you know, like I don't have an I don't know how to work apps or anything like no, that. No, I
4: know, I'm aware of that. Not very But you uh, have a phone, so you're on your way.
3: Not very good <laughs> with uh that kind of stuff. But don't play me at ping pong.
4: No, I no. have played you many you don't times. Don't want to
3: play me at ping pong. I do. That's I do. the one. One thing that I do pretty well. Yeah, it's ping pong. Yes, I played you a lot are. of ping pong in my Good life. Good at that. Um, and I love listening to classic radio shows. Nothing makes me happier than hearing these classic shows. And in this hour, it's escape. Oh, I love Escape. It's radio's greatest series of high adventure, Lisa. 1953, The Man with the Steel Teeth. I wonder if he had this, you know, get any did he ever get any um cavities? Cavities with steel teeth? Corrosion maybe? I don't, so. maybe. Mm, I don't Rust.
4: know. My, probably impervious to that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's coming your way. Escape will also have Just the Facts, so stick around. Ah! Ladies
5: and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect
2: the innocent.
3: Are you sure these are truly?
4: I am positive these are true, Carl. All
3: right. I, I trust ga- you. I have
4: good sources, and I don't call your brother Vince for my sources. <laughs> We're going to do some He's Just the Facts, 1953. Doesn't have good sources, my no, brother. <laughs> no. Uh, Escape is from 1953. You know what happened in
3: 1953?
4: What? Mrs. Potato Head was invented. Hey, it's Hasbro. Hasbro makes toys.
3: Hasbro. What's mm-hmm.
4: new, Hasbro. Mr. and Mrs.
17: Potato Head with their own cars and trailers. That's what's new. See Mr. Potato Head has a car and boat trailer.
3: Well, that tells me that Mr. Potato Head was invented or came out Earlier. even before. That's right. So, right? Mr. I. Because they were coming I've, out with all kinds of. I will
4: enlighten you. Enlighten me. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Mr. Potato Head was invented in 1949. Wow. And then, um, Mr. Potato was the first toy advertised on television. Did you know that?
3: It was. That's
4: what I read. The and first I didn't ask toy? Vince. Yep. Advertised on TV and right. it's remained in production uh, since its debut. Yeah. And then in 1953, the year we are speaking of, Mrs. He Potato Head was added. He got, <laughs> he got a, a wife. wife. He got a wife. Right. And wow. soon after that, there was Brother Spud,
3: Right. Sister Yam. Any kids?
4: Um, did they
3: have any kids or? Did they
4: have any kids? Well, I don't know. You can use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go there. Um, so the toy was originally produced as separate plastic parts with push pins and they could be stuck into like a potato or yeah, a vegetable. A real potato, A right. real one. Mm-hmm. But people were complaining that things were rotting like the potatoes and the <laughs> vegetables and there was regulations. <laughs> so Hasbro began including a plastic potato body with a toy set starting in 1960. 64. Wow! All right. Also, the year you were born. The year Just I gave was it away. born. Thanks Just gave a it lot. Away there, I'm Lisa. feeling old here. Yeah. 1953. One of the most popular TV shows was "You Bet Your Life."
2: And here he is, the one, the only Groucho. That's right.
4: Never heard of
5: him? Oh, that's me.
2: <laughs>
4: He's wonderful. So You Bet Your Life, of course, a quiz show that aired on both radio and television. We play it very often here at WGN Radio Mm -hmm. Theater because our listeners love that so very much. The original and best-known version, of course, was hosted by Groucho with announcer... George George Mm Fenneman, and the uh, show debuted at ABC Radio in 1947 before making the transition to NBC TV and NBC Radio. Yeah, wow.
3: Yeah. Great series. Great
4: series. There are a lot of episodes, hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Yeah. 1953, the best film Oscar winner was... The greatest show on earth.
14: The Pied Piper, whose magic tunes lead children of all ages. That's Cecil B. DeMille.
3: From
4: six to sixty. That's right. That's Cecil B. DeMille. That's there. right, because the film was produced and directed by Cecil B. DeMille, B. DeMille. Sure. Released by Paramount, and it's set in the Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie? No. Yeah. It stars. Um, yeah. Betty Hutton and uh, Cornel Wilde as a uh, trapeze artists. Ah, oh, I gotta watch it. And Charlton Heston oh. is the manager. Perfect. Thanks, Lisa. A lot of fun. Thanks. Carl. Thanks
3: for just the facts. All right, our text in line, 312 981 200 We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. till 3 o'clock in the morning, five hours, bringing you the greatest classic radio shows of all time. And most of these shows make the transition, made the transition to television, right. and they air. On Antenna TV. Yes. We we love Antenna TV. I watch Antenna TV all the time.
4: I do, too. We just heard a spot for Three's Company on Antenna TV. Oh, yeah.
3: They play all your greatest classic TV shows, but the shows before they were TV shows, they were radio radio. shows. You can come here and listen every Saturday night. Now, Escape. I don't believe Escape ever made a transition to television it was just strictly a radio show but uh, but a darn good one came uh, to radio in 1947 lasted until 1954 and it grew Out of the success of Suspense, CBS was airing Suspense since 1942, and it was doing so well, they were like, hey, let's create sort of a sister program, but make it more about high adventure rather than horror or mystery, and they called it. Escape and William Conrad and Paul Frees were the voices of Escape. They often played roles on the episodes as well. And it didn't have the star power or budget of Suspense because it didn't have the sponsors that Suspense had, but they also would recycle the suspense script sometimes you know it was it was kind of like the uh, the stepchild to uh to suspense you know what i mean it mm-hmm. wasn't it didn't have the budget didn't have the didn't have this star power but but it was good. It was a really, really good, as you're going to hear on this particular episode. And remember the opening: Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? All
4: right, keep your day job.
3: Yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, digging ditches. That's probably <laughs> that's what. right. That'll all do right. It. So this episode of Escape is called "The Man with the Steel Teeth." It's from March 15th, 1953. It has a great cast, and it. We'll talk about the cast later. But now, uninterrupted, here is Escape.
12: Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape.
5: Escape designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half-hour of high adventure.
12: You are standing in a darkened room in the heart of Russia's dread Lubyanka prison. Your mind tortured into blankness... While across a desk from you, happily smiling at you, is the chief of Russia's secret police, who intends to drive you to insanity or to death.
5: Listen now, as Escape brings you John Daner's exciting story, The Man with the Steel Teeth.
21: began on the evening of April 29th. I was seated in my box at the Bolshoi Opera in Moscow, listening to a particularly fine performance of Boris Godunov, when I felt a slap on my shoulder.
19: Guys, police. What do you want? What, what? Now
21: look here, what's this all about? You are under arrest. Arrest? What are you talking about? Come. There were two other men with him, big men. In a moment, I found myself escorted down the corridor, down the grand staircase and out into the dark street to a black limousine waiting in front. No one said a word as we sped through the streets, the men on either side of me staring straight ahead. Then we rounded a corner, and in a second, I knew our destination. The Bianca Prison, home of a thousand ugly secrets and a dread MVD. We swung down a long ramp and came to a stop at a huge, unguarded bronze door. I was ushered into a small office, bare except for a desk with some filing cabinets. A small, round man in a drab gray suit was standing near the desk watching us. From there, I was taken through another door and steered down a long corridor. It was the cell block. Notre. And I was a prisoner of the Soviet secret police.
15: Artello Luttrell.
13: Ah, Mr. Luttrell. how nice. Please come in! Sayon! I will moment. My back was, you see.
0: So Tavarish
13: Tavarish Tavarish suda, sildko,
0: eh? No, a Ah, da? B- yeah. Now, just
21: a minute. I've been here for two days without a word as to why I've been arrested. I want an explanation. Look, I'm an accredited correspondent. My papers are in order. You know that. Now, what about.
13: to <laughs> come.
21: I gave up. They had no intention of dealing with me until they were good and ready. I could see that. I watched the man behind the desk. He was the same one who'd been in the office when I was brought to Lubyanka. Inspector Golovin of the MVD. A small, round little man in a badly fitted gray suit. Gold rimmed spectacles magnified his brown eyes, and when he smiled, his full lips uncovered the most fantastic set of stainless steel teeth I ever laid eyes on. Full uppers and lowers. Then the morning feast was over.
13: Ah, my dear Luttrell. How pleasant to see you again.
21: Again? We've never met and you know it.
13: Spasso House for one a year or so ago. A reception for the Belarusian delegation to the All-Union Sports Congress last year. A diplomatic banquet in honor of the President of the Uzbek People's Republic. Many places, my friend.
21: I don't know you. I see we shall get on very well. Why am I here? A legitimate question. You are here to
13: confess. Confess? To what? No, no, no. We have much time. No need to get
21: excited so soon. I'm asking you again. Confess to what?
13: Shall I read it to you?
21: You've written my confession?
13: Oh, no, no, my friend. No. Uh, These are the charges. Only the charges. The confession is up to you. With my help, of course. You. You're interested? Go on. Uh, from the office of Max Golovin, Inspector District of Moscow, Lazar First Officer. Uh, this does not concern you. Uh, tested to by the following officers of the People's State Security. That doesn't concern you.
11: Uh, subject.
13: Uh, concerning the activities of one Arthur Henderson Luttrell, uh, correspondent WNA, citizen United States of America, resident of Moscow two years, here and after called accused. One. That in the morning of August twenty first, nineteen fifty two, the accused was observed by witnesses in an exchange of objects with a engineer, former member Ukrainian People's uh, Agriculture Cooperative, while standing near north entrance to Workers' Palace.
21: The little man droned on, unrailing paragraph after paragraph of nonsense, names of people I'd met as a reporter or at official functions, or on the street, or anywhere. Names of people now dead or awaiting execution. It wasn't until this thought came that it dawned on me what my crime might be. And in the last paragraph, Golovin confirmed it.
13: And that Arthur Henderson Luttrell is accused of the crime of espionage and the encouragement of sabotage. That, by the use of personal influence, he contributed to the deviation of 12 individuals since convicted, sentenced, and in four separate instances, um, executed for crimes of treason against the state. Well?
21: Very clever.
13: Nothing clever, my dear friend. Merely a recitation of facts.
21: From all the people I know here, you take the few names that'll make a case for you. What's more, some of them are dead. But why? What am I supposed to have done?
13: Do you or do you not confess?
21: To a trumped-up deal like this? No, not on your life.
13: Eh, uh, on your life, Mr. Luttrell. Sergeant, ubegigo. You have been asked the question, my dear boy. Do you or do you not confess? Go to the devil. He's sure ask. Confess. No. Confess. Uh. Confess.
21: Then they tried psychological persuasion. The method to wear me down to the point of exhaustion when I would gladly sign anything in exchange for a night's sleep.
13: You will confess. You will read from this paper, then you will sleep. No. You will read the following. The charges brought against me are true. I am guilty of sabotage. Read it, Mr. Luttrell. I am
12: guilty.
21: Read it. I am guilty Sabotage And the use of personal influence To encourage political deviation And sabotage in others
7: Go on
13: Then you will sleep, go on
21: In the instances of Nikita Kaz Alexei Zarajin Anton Schwernik And Mikhail Bagratin I was unquestionably a primary factor. No. No, it's not true. It's not true. I will not... (laughs) And I awoke to find myself back in my cell. Then I noticed something was strange. Something different about my cell. An unnatural stillness. I took an effort to focus at the moment. Then I saw what it was. My cell door was open. Just a crack. But it was open. It had always been closed and double locked each time I was returned from questioning. But now it was open. Reason told me it was another way of torturing me. A trap. But I had to try. Cautiously, I stepped out into the broad corridor... I moved past the line of cells. If I could reach the bronze doors. The bronze doors. Outside. Escape. And then... I was standing before the door to the office. It was too easy. They'd be waiting on the other side. They'd be there. Empty. No golovin. Nobody. In the corner behind the desk stood a coat rack. On it hung an overcoat and a black hat. I took them, put them on, walked to the bronze doors.
8: And I was outside.
21: Except for a black limousine that stood across the parking area, the place was deserted. Nobody. My first thought was the embassy. If I can get to the embassy, I'm safe. I looked again at the limousine. An official car of the MVD. Trying to be as casual as possible, I went over and looked in. The ignition keys were there. I got in quickly, stepped on the starter. I drove carefully, alive to the fact that the city had a thousand eyes... It was early morning. A few cars were on the street. The commissars and sub-commissars, associate commissars and their assistants. Soviet official them rolling to work on privileged wheels. Suddenly the welcome sight of the embassy came into view. It loomed large and took shape as I approached. There was a car parked in front of the main embassy entrance. I pulled up behind it. I was about to set the handbrake when I saw something had turned my blood to water. Not 40 feet from me, leaning against the stone post of the entrance gate, was a man in an overcoat. He was absorbed with a small hand mirror in which he was examining his teeth, probing here and there with his forefinger. It was Inspector Golok.
5: We will return to escape in just a moment, but first... Answering the call of the sick and the distressed at home and at the battlefield is the job of the Red Cross. This month, the Red Cross is asking for contributions to carry on this wonderful work for another year. Can we do less than answer the call ourselves? Give as much as you can to the American Red Cross. And now, back to Escape. (laughs)
21: I slid down in my seat. Golovin didn't look up, but I knew he'd seen me and was just waiting. And I saw the bulge in his coat pocket. I had no chance against a pistol. I started the car and pulled out into the street. In the rearview mirror, I saw Golovin go to his car and start after me. I was in a panic. At the corner, I turned left and headed toward Red Square. I hoped that once there, I could cut across the square into one of the side streets and double back to the embassy. But about halfway across the square, I saw a car move out of the thin line of traffic in back of me. It was Golovin, and I had to abandon my plan for the moment. Then began a dodging game that took us through the west section of Moscow and into the industrial suburbs. Time after time, I was sure I'd lost it, but he would seemingly materialize out of nowhere and fasten himself onto me. It went on and on until we neared the railroad yards. We were racing down a cobblestone street laced with track. Golovin was closing on me fast. He called my name as his car came alongside, then began forcing me off the road. There was only one way out. I whipped my wheel to the right and skidded onto a bridge. I picked up speed and in a while found myself in open country with Golovin nowhere in sight. I had lost Golovin, for he had lost me. What difference? I had no chance of ever getting back to the embassy now. The MVD would be there waiting for me with a color guard. So I drove on. On the strength of an MVD identity card I found in the pocket of my overcoat, I obtained gasoline at a small town. And then a few miles from Smolensk, I had a nasty shock. It was a roadblock. Two trucks were placed squarely across the road, 20 feet apart. Soldiers with Tommy guns stood in the light of flares, motioning me to stop. There was nothing to do but pull over. A soldier came over and flashed a light in the window.
5: Tovarish, doberi vietje. Dobri vietje. Izvinite, tovarish, pokazite vashi bumagi. Oh, M.V.D., idite. Izvinjai, tovarish, sergeant. Što to sluchilos v Dimitrov.
21: Spokoni nochi. Spokoni nochi. The soldier waved me on. The MVD identity card had done it. I drove steadily the rest of that night and all the next day. Late the following night I reached the outskirts of Warsaw. The time had come to abandon the MVD car. It had served its purpose, but by now the entire secret police undoubtedly was alerted to watch for me. So I left it at the side of the road and started walking. In half an hour I was at my destination, the apartment of an old friend. I was on the ragged edge, needed rest. What is it? Hello, Maria.
22: Chicago!
21: May I come in?
22: Oh, Chicago, you are a ghost. Yes, come in.
21: I'm very tired.
22: Sit down here, my darling.
21: Ah, Oh, how good that feels.
22: I will make some tea for you. Such a surprise to see you, my Chicago. What has happened to you? Are you not in Moscow? (laughs) No, of course you are not in Moscow. You are here. Why are you here, Chicago? Chicago? Chicago. Already you are sleeping. That is good.
21: You sleep, my darling. Morning.
22: Ah, Chicago! Finally you waked up. But it is not morning, it is two o'clock in the afternoon. How do you feel now? You sleep good.
11: Oh, it's heaven. You going
22: to stay awake now? I give you a cup of coffee. You're an angel. Never mind the angel talking.
21: Here. Thanks. Ah. First cup of coffee I've had in two months.
22: Now, you must tell me, Chicago, what has happened? Where do you come from? Where do you go?
21: (laughs) Old cotton-eyed Joe. Old witch? Your question... Where do you come from? Where do you go? Like old Cotton Eye Joe, an American folk song. Oh. (laughs) Never mind. Sit down, I'll tell you.
22: Oh, I have missed you, Chicago. And when you came in last night, I was very happy.
21: You're still as beautiful as ever, Maria.
22: But I am wrong to talk this way to you. Everything was finished two years ago, and so it must remain.
21: I still think we were fools. Shh,
22: now forget. Forget. Now, you in a lot of trouble, eh?
21: Yeah. A lot.
22: You talk in your sleep.
21: What did I say?
22: I could not understand everything, but you keep on killing a man. Golovin. Golovin, that is the name. You must hate him to kill him so much.
21: Well, he gave me a lot of trouble.
22: Oh? what he look like?
21: Oh, or... a small man, quite small.
22: Maybe a little fat? Yeah. Does he wear glasses?
21: <laughs> I really talked in my sleep, didn't I?
22: No, but there is such a man outside in the street who looks like that. What? Wait. He's still there. Come, look, but be careful. Don't let him see you. Across the street see he has been there all day he was there this morning
21: he's an inspector for the MVD
22: MVD you are in a lot of trouble
21: all I want is to get to Berlin
22: yes you must leave Warsaw can you help me I think so I know someone can he be trusted you know my brother bronislaw
21: B- he's with the Communists
22: I shall let you decide that when you meet him
12: The pistol only as a last resort. So, go over your cards again, and we shall see if you know them.
21: Uh, the personal identification card. Talk. A gasoline ration card. Talk.
7: Uh,
21: ID badge where I work. Inspector for state, state fisheries. Talk. Travel permit mm-hmm. and work record. Good. Now we go. Maria, I, I don't know how. Shh. shh.
22: Not one word from you.
21: You saved my life, Maria. I'll never forget.
22: So, give me a
8: kiss now. Uh, come, come now. Let us go.
22: Goodbye, my beautiful Chicago. Goodbye. <laughs>
21: Bronislav led me down the stairs and out the back door to the alley where his car was parked there was no sign of Golovin a relief to be sure but still a surprise since both of us half expected to see him Maria's brother had done a first class job arranging my escape from Warsaw to Berlin was a cruise clear sailing all the way it was a lovely summer night when we arrived in Berlin we drove as near to the line dividing the sectors as we could I got out There was a handshake between us, and Bronislav was gone. I started walking to the end of the street, the end of Soviet influence. Ten yards away, I rounded a corner and... Good evening, Luttrell. Golovin. The little man blocked my path so I couldn't get by. His hands were thrust deep in his pockets, a frightening smile on his face.
13: So now it is the end of the road for us, no, Luttrell? For a while, I thought this moment would never come to pass. But now it is all over.
21: As he spoke, he withdrew a small pistol from his pocket. He balanced it casually in his hand and continued talking. It was the end for me.
13: To think, Luttrell, that the whole adventure turned out exactly as I had planned. From the moment you left your cell till now, every move you made as I had
21: planned. (laughs) (laughs) I showed you well the way, no? So you're pleased with yourself, Golovin? fine. But let's get this over with. What? (laughs) You do not understand, Littrell. I allowed you to escape. So you could shoot me at the end of the road. Quite the saddest, aren't you?
13: I allowed it so that I could make my own way here. Look, don't play games, Golovin. Games? No games. This entire thing was planned for my escape.
21: Your escape?
13: Mine. By following you, I could give the impression that I was only doing my duty by pursuing an escaped prisoner, <laughs> a prisoner who, by chance, you understand, led me to here.
21: <laughs> you still do not believe me, do you? I, I just don't follow that, sir.
13: Luttrell, in my country, it is bad the life. Now it is even worse. Soon my colleagues would have seen the things I could no longer hide, and then would come the purge. My purge. I had to
21: leave before that could happen. So now... I find it kind of hard to swallow, I'll tell you that.
13: (laughs) Uh, Here, uh, take my gun. Take it. Now you believe? (laughs) <laughs> Come, my dear boy, we cannot stand here. Let us go across the road. Uh, you see, I need you to vouch for my story when
21: I am questioned. Uh, one thing, Golovin. Uh huh. What would you have done if you'd found that your colleagues were closing in on you?
13: I would have seized you immediately taken you back to Lubyanka. You were uh, never exactly what you would call safe, Mr. Futrell. Uh, you were my insurance. Yeah. Uh, this is the American sector? Mm hmm. My territory now. Oh, then we must seek the military police, and I give myself up.
11: Yeah.
21: Yeah, I guess they would like to have a talk with you. So now,
13: my dear boy. Wait a minute, Golovin.
21: (laughs) Wait.
7: Why did you do that?
21: A lot of reasons. You figure them out. My knuckles hurt; they were bleeding. Golovin sat on the pavement, looking stupid. I turned to go, and as I did, he took his hand from his mouth. His full lips hung slack, revealing his steel teeth bent grotesquely out of shape. I shuddered and went to find the military police.
5: Under the direction of Anthony Ellis, Escape has brought you The Man with the Steel Teeth by John Daner, starring Harry Bartell. Featured in the cast were Jack Crucian, Charlotte Lawrence, Steve Roberts, and Paul Dubov. Editorial supervision is by John Meston. And the special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week...
12: You are 400 feet below the surface of the South Pacific, the heavy taste of chlorine gas souring your mouth, while somewhere up above you, searching through the night for you, is an enemy destroyer bent on sending the submarine and you to a murky death.
5: So listen next week when Escape brings you Richard Lee's exciting story... Pressure. Tomorrow night on most of these same CBS radio stations, Lux Radio Theater presents Dennis Morgan and Virginia Mayo in the thrilling drama, This Woman is Dangerous. Also tomorrow evening, hear John Hodiak in Suspense's chilling production of The Mountain. A story well calculated to keep you in suspense. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, you have a date with Arthur Godfrey's talent scouts. Every Monday evening on the CBS Radio Network.
3: Ah, there is a good episode of Escape. You know, that uh, story, which was called The Man with the Steel Teeth and was aired on CBS March 15, 1953, was written by John Daner. Now, John Daner is an actor on these radio shows. Of course, he was paladin. On Have Gun, Will Travel, the radio version on TV, of course, Richard Boone. But John Daner, he was in a zillion radio shows, and on this particular episode shows his writing talent. He wrote this episode. Uh was not in it, though. I'm surprised. I mean, he wrote it. You would think he'd maybe play a part on it. But um, the uh, stars of this particular episode, you heard, of course, William Conrad as the voice of Escape there. But um, Jack Crucian... You had Harry Bartell, Roy Rowan doing the announcing. The woman in this particular episode was Charlotte Lawrence, and then uh, Steve Roberts and Paul Duboff. But yeah, very interesting. Uh, and there was like long, long dialogue there, like Russian dialogue with no translation. But they did a really good job of keeping you, you know, you weren't really like like, what's going on here? Well, um, you
4: understood, though, didn't you?
3: Yeah. Inter- and you
4: take cues.
3: I understand <laughs> Russian. <laughs> yeah,
4: I think you do, actually. <laughs> no, I don't.
3: But um, I, I like that show. Very good episode. It's heard on CBS radio. But, John, yeah, John Daner, not, uh, you know that he was also um, a talented artist. He worked at Disney Studios as an animator. Wow. Very talented guy. Yeah. Did a great job on radio as an actor and then a writer, too. Ooh. Wow. Not bad. He did a good job. Yes, he did. All right, let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater.